Welcome everybody to today's call. We've got to find the man of the moment. I'm just going to take JL off mute. JL, if you're going to unmute yourself. Yeah, excellent. Yep. How's it going, JL? It's going great, Ian. Thanks for having me on. Oh, thanks for giving us your time. Looking forward to it. Um, so, Joe, we, we went going back. And was it Swiss we first met, the Swiss convention yep. a few years ago? Yeah, Swiss. I think that was uh, maybe 2015, I think it was, maybe. I tell you what, um, I don't forget because boy, you I certainly enjoyed our chats. You're a very entertaining man. Um, some great, some great stories, some great insights. I'm looking forward to sharing those with people moving forward. A few on the call today, but also people moving forward uh, in the, as we post the recording up. So, Joel, to help everybody understand your background, you're with us. So, where, where did it all begin for you? Yeah, you know, I grew up playing all kinds of different sports, ended up playing uh, football in college. Um, and it was interesting. I had played as a true freshman. And then uh, that winter, I blew my knee out skiing, uh, ACL, MCL. It was, it was a pretty bad skiing accident. And after that, you know, worked my way back and spent a lot of time with athletic trainer, decided, you know, I, I really enjoyed that and wanted to be a strength coach. And after you know, transferring schools and, and getting my degree. I was a strength coach at the University of Kentucky. Uh, I was there. And then uh, it's when I really started. Uh, it's when I found out about powerlifting, essentially. I had uh, I had actually lived in Colorado Springs the, the few summers before. My girlfriend, her sister was training for the Olympics. So I learned, you know, weightlifting out, out there and, and at the Olympic Training Center. And that was a great experience. And I, I tried that and it wasn't really a natural fit. I found powerlifting and uh, I did my first meet while I was at the University of Kentucky and uh, I totaled 2160 in my first meet, uh, which was, uh, I think it might've been a top 10 US total in my first meet. And then uh, I beat everybody who I was competing against uh, from Westside Barbell. And after that, Louis Simmons, uh, after the media invited me to come train at Westside. And so uh, I left the job at University of Kentucky and moved to Columbus, Ohio to train at Westside Barbell. And uh, that was a, a great experience, you know. Um, unfortunately, in, uh, in 2004, I'd built up. I had the fourth highest total all time in my weight class. Uh, I was going into a meet to be the first non-heavyweight to total over 2,600. And uh, training for that meet, I, I was doing an 1,100-pound squat. And uh, things got a little sideways and uh, I felt a little tweak, kind of kept training through it, went to the meet, did my opener on 954, got to the top and felt something go. And then my legs gave out and ended up being a herniated L5S1, which took me out of competitive powerlifting for 10 years. Uh, worked my way back in 2014. I won a world championship in the deadlift. Um, and, and kind of since then, I've really been focused on, on my private training facilities I have in Columbus called the Spot Athletics. So we've uh, we've grown that from, you know, we started with 2,000 square feet. Now we have two uh, 20,000 square foot facilities uh, in Columbus. Wow, impressive. So you certainly paid your dues in lifting. And, and as you said, it was a good fit from the get-go. You, you, you impressed, uh, impressed people and you attracted some attention with those efforts. So what was the difference to you between weightlifting and powerlifting? What, 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 what was the specific think, difference for you? Yeah, I mean, I, I think one is just how I'm built. You know, I, I think, you know, I, I think it, it's become more and more a, a, a known quantity that, you know, look, people have different built hips. They're, they're built to, to squat differently and do different things. And for me, 
I was never built lever wise to be a weightlifter and to get into those positions, but I was built really well to be a power lifter. And, you know, um, a lot of that just comes from, you know, when we, you know, people look at lever length and say, oh, well, you have long arms, you know, you might not be a good bench presser, but what they don't realize is if you have a very long humerus and, uh, or a short humerus, the arm length could be the same, but that totally changes your leverages for the bench press. And so for me, I have very long arms, but I have a very short humerus. So I'm, you know, I, as, as I think I, when I was it's still in college, I touch and go bench press 535. And so I've always been a great bench presser and I was a good deadlifter and I could squat pretty well. So powerlifting was just a natural fit for the way I was built. And the preparation that got you to that point, your, your strength preparation, where did that begin? You know, back in high school or? Yeah, yeah, definitely in high school. Yeah, no, high school. I mean, it's interesting. I was a, I was a late bloomer. So I was a, I was a 135 pound, you know, freshman, you know, I wrestled at 135 pounds my freshman year in high school, uh, started lifting weights when I got done with wrestling my freshman year. And, uh, I showed up to football my sophomore year at about 185 pounds. And, uh, you know, I fell in love with weights immediately. Uh, it's interesting. We, we lived about five miles out, outside of town and every day I'd, you know, I didn't know much about nutrition, but, uh, I'd wake up every morning and I'd make banana pancakes and I'd eat so much until I wanted to throw up. And then I had to force myself to eat five more bites. And that was my nutrition. And uh, then I'd, I'd pack a cooler with a protein shake, a jar of peanut butter and broccoli because I knew I needed protein and I thought broccoli was good for you. And peanut butter had calories. Um, And so (laughs) So I would uh, I'd ride my BMX bike into town five miles to the gym. I'd train for two hours and I'd eat my my protein shake, my broccoli, and my peanut butter, and I'd ride my bike back home. So it's uh, it, it was something I fell in love with immediately, and and you know did it all through high school and in college. But it was always to be better at sports, not not for the purpose of actually weight training. And how do you think that preparation served you? Like you would have been doing quite a few years even before you went into powerlifting competition quite a few years of strength training yeah i mean i you know i I'll, I'll never forget i walked into it's called tnt fitness in the little town of michigan where where i grew up and you know, it was in the basement of uh jc pennies um i mean it was it was a, a literal dungeon in the basement and i mean there was a handwritten sign on the wall that said if you didn't bring your mom pick your shit up and uh i mean it was it was a great place to learn how to train. And, you know, it's interesting. When I went in there, there was a guy, he worked the front desk. He was kind of a power lifter, bodybuilder guy. And he took me under his wing and showed me how to train. So, I mean, I'd been training, you know, 14. I was almost 15 when I joined that gym. And I didn't start powerlifting until I was uh, 21 years old. It's 22 years old, I guess. So, you know, I had, you know, six, seven years of, of weight training experience before I ever started powerlifting. And as far as the American football went, obviously the, the knee injury from skiing was a major limiting factor, but had that not occurred, where would you see yourself in American football? You know, I think it's interesting. You know, it's funny. It's something I, I think about from my own. I have three kids that are, you know, 12, 7, and 3, and the, the 12-year-old's a boy, and 3-year-old's a boy, and, and even my 7-year-old, I think about when we put them in school, because for me, I was I was a late bloomer, so, you know, looking back, it's like, well, if I'd have gone into high school as a freshman at 185 pounds and, you know, I left, I left 
high school at about 205, 210 pounds or so. And I reported my freshman year for football at 230. And so I look at that and I go, okay, well, if I'd have played my senior season at 230, you know, and so it's interesting, like those things, I think about those with my kids now, but honestly, you know, I was never the greatest athlete by any means. I was always really strong. I was always one of the hardest workers and, and I loved hitting people. And so for me, you know, I, I wasn't maybe the best mover in the world, but if you got in my way, like bad things were happening to you. So I, I don't know. I don't think there's too much room for that in, in professional sports anymore, but, but it was, uh, you know, so I can't never say on that, but it, it's definitely something I think about with my kids and making decisions on when to put them into school and things like that. Yeah, it's interesting to see the, the path because sometimes we end up doing stuff and uh, looking back and say, well, if I'd done it a bit differently, done it a bit earlier, might have had a different income, outcome. But um, you know, I certainly enjoy seeing your pictures there from your, your time at uh, college in, in the in, in football. So post post lifting, you've you've taken your focus into your, your business building. Talk to me about the the challenges and the, and the and the rewards, the benefits, etc., of what you're doing with your business. Yeah, it's, you know, after in 2004, the big thing for me was getting back to the platform after such a major injury, you know, few people can understand. And this is one of the things I, you know, when we met and I love talking to you was, you know, you, you really understood kind of the pain of a lot of that and being, you know, you know, I was, you know, definitely without argument, one of the best powerlifters in the world. And I went from from that one day, you know, looking to set a new all-time world record to the next day I couldn't dress myself. And, you know, the the toll that that takes on a body, not not just physically, but the mental toll on a person. It's, mm-hmm. it's something I just don't feel a lot of people really can understand. And, you know, so for me, mentally, just being able to get back on the platform, being able to win a world championship in 2014, you know, after I accomplished that, I really wanted to turn my focus to my business because not that that hadn't been a focus, but when training and getting on the platform is, is really taking up your number one stop spot, your business can't be in the number one spot. Mm-hmm. Um, and so after that, we really started to expand. And, um, you know, it, it's a challenge. I mean, going from for me, I was always such a proud technician and, and a coach and being on the floor to moving into half. To, to have to fill that role of business owner and leader and manager, those things are, are two vastly different roles. And I think that's why a, a lot of great coaches end up failing with facilities because those are two vastly different roles. And, and, and I've had to learn that. And I've learned a lot of hard lessons through that for sure. Absolutely. So what are your plans with the business moving forward? So for us, I mean, you know, the last year and a half has been a crazy expansion. We went, you know, we had an 8,000 square foot facility and and the neighbor in our building went out of business. They were a construction company and we took it over. So we went, you know, we expanded from eight to 20,000 and then we opened a second 20,000 square foot location. Um, and so with that, uh, you know, I've, I've had to learn a lot of hard lessons because at the same time uh, I co-founded reflects a performance reset. And so there was a lot of travel with RPR. And so I, I learned really quickly which systems were, were in place to operate without me there and which ones weren't. And so right now we're in a phase of just trying to catch up with our systems and our structure to to the current sizes of our facilities. But definitely for me, it's it's to grow what we've what we've started and you know to to keep making those facilities great. And then I'd like to open up 
uh, a third facility in Columbus. And then, you know, at that point it's, it's decide, get there and then, and then maybe branch out regionally from there. But, but definitely the first goal is, is just to catch up, you know, with our systems and our structure to, to what we built at this point. So you've had enough experience in the, in the industry to comment about where the opportunity and where the needs lie in, in the marketplace and either now and moving forwards as far as facilities go, you know, what type of services, uh, you know, what size facilities, what are some of the lessons you, you can share from that? Well, I think the first thing is that, you know, one of the, the, the greatest things that, that CrossFit did was it was a great, brought big awareness to barbell lifting and just mm -hmm. general, you know, strength training. Mm -hmm. um, but with that, one of the, I think one of the, the unfortunate things it did was it made everyone think that if you had a garage and a squat rack, you could say you owned a gym. And um, I think that, you know, there's, when you look at facilities and whether it's CrossFit or other facilities, there, there's a lot of them that are going out of business uh, at this point because it's, it's now past a big bubble for that. But I think that, you know, one of the biggest things is the need is, is really in quality coaching and quality control. Um, at, at this point, you know, and this is one of our, our big things at the spot is just the education level and, you know, teaching our coaches how to do things properly, because really, you know, kids come out of school and I've, I've hired people with master's degrees and exercise physiology. And, you know, I'm sure they would could work in a lab, but they couldn't coach anybody or understand movement or how to coach movement. And so I, I think there's a big hole right now and in, in, in just in that education process of you know, that's great. You can name every step in the Krebs cycle, but you got to be able to coach somebody. And that, that art of coaching and that interpersonal communication skill, I think really as things move, that's something that, that needs to be addressed in, in a major way in our, in our field in general. That's a, that's a very good point. And, and there's a few things I've noticed as far as future developments. But at the moment, what do you think is a solution for the majority? Because at this point in time, as you said, someone's going to come out of university, four-year degree, and the, the professional accreditation in our industry, and it's it's slightly fragmented in America, but you have some bigger players, you know, is what they're doing adequate? Is is the science-based graduate, is it going to work out for them? And it really is, and I think it's interesting as a field and whole, I, you know, most of the people I, I, I talk to, I, you know, when we're hiring coaches, I interview a lot of people and, you know, we do a phone screen interview that takes about 15, 20 minutes tops to, to see if a person's worth talking to further. And so, you know, some of those phone screens don't last five minutes uh, because it's someone that's, it's fresh out of school. And, you know, their, their goal is they want to be a head NFL strength coach and, and they think that's their next step. Um, you know, I think that, they're really in general we're not preparing the coaches and and i think that you know the accreditation organizations they're doing they're doing an okay job i, I think it's it's you know what it's it's what's out there right now i think that the hard part is is that they all have agendas and so the problem is the agenda isn't do what's best for the athlete. And I think that's one of the things that, you know, resonated so much when we met and we first started talking was, I think honestly, you know, you were maybe the first person I ever talked to who was, who was a genuine performance coach, whose, whose job, whose care number one was, was the athlete's health. 
And, and what I'd been around a lot had been, you know, like to take it, you know, to take my time at Westside, but you know, my, the goal at Westside is to set world records and, and have, you know, set world records and be the baddest gym on earth. You know, there was a lot of people that got broken there through that process, but I didn't realize that that, you know, the goal wasn't my health or my safety. The goal was, can I set world records? Can I put numbers on the board? And, um, you know, I think in college athletics, that's kind of a lot of the philosophy. They're breaking a lot of eggs, but they got a lot of eggs to cook with. So they can. Um, and I think, you know, these organizations, there's a lot of ulterior motives that, that aren't the, the athlete's best health. And, and I don't think at any level, I don't think it's nefarious. I don't, I don't think they do it on purpose. I just think it's really easy to lose sight of, of, of the athlete being the most important part of our equation. Because it's, it's affecting the athletes of the world, like from, from kids to high school, you know, to amateurs, to pros, what's being produced in the, in, in the mainstream, what's being produced in the mindset of how to train is, is having a, a significant impact. And that's a discussion itself. But from a historical perspective, when you look at the origin of, of in, in, to use the American term strength edition, when you look at the origin of that, it came out of American football and it came out of strength coaches who were coaches first and respected for their coaching. And it was the art of coaching. And we're talking about, you know, back in the 60s, um, in, a, in a small way, like in a very small way, we're talking back in the 70s where it's just started to, uh, to grow a little bit where people like Bill Starr were writing books like The Strongest Shall Survive to promote it. Um, but we went away from that and we, we dropped the art, you know, the, we used to the art and science of coaching and it's now just the science of coaching. But, you know, I won't dwell on it for too long, but it, it's, it's interesting to speak with someone like you who's come out of that, um, you know, American football, uh, strength training, exposure, connected with American football. And, and you've, the industry has gone in a direction which I, I've got question marks about, about serving uh, the athletes, but you're also seeing that in the, in the, as far as employment in, in the industry as well. Yeah, I think, you know, and, and, you know, I have a general philosophy in life. I think everybody, I think, is a good person and, and wants good. But I, I think, you know, getting there and keeping that and so i think that you know especially in today's world of you know instagram posts and social media and instant gratification you know i remember there's a facility here in the us that that's known for training pro baseball players and uh a buddy of mine did a little thing with them and said okay how much, what percentage of their business do you guys think is pro baseball players? And people said, you know, 90%, 85%. And, and if you look on their Instagram, that's what it is. But their actual pro baseball player was 10% of their business. The rest of it was young athletes and, and general population, which is where most private facilities make their money and, and live and, and serve those people. And I think it's interesting more and more, I'm, I'm talking to young kids who, who don't want to serve those people. They, they just want the glory of the Instagram posts with the professional athlete. And, and I think there's, there's a lot of factors into that, but I, I think that, you know, obviously someone like yourself is putting out great messages and, and it's helped shape a lot of, of my thought process. And, you know, I, I'm trying to do that with my younger coaches. And, and, you know, it's one of those things it's, I had a kid tell me yesterday, he came in to talk to me about an internship with us. And, you know, I love working with athletes. I love working with athletes. And he said, you know, I, I wouldn't mind if I have to work with 
you know, general pop or if I have to work with youth athletes. And I just looked at him and I said, you get to work with those people. I said, you get to serve those people. You get to transform and improve those people's and impact their lives. I said, that's a privilege. That's not something you have to do. It's something you get to do. And I said, if you get this internship, you'll be lucky to work with those people and they'll allow you to impact their lives. And I think that that message is being lost on, on a lot of just this generation. Absolutely. The, the expectation of jumping straight in and, um, you know, athletes, especially at the higher end, deserve deserve better um, as far as experience, etc. So what are some of the, the, the newer things you're doing? Talk about talk to us about the reflex. So, yeah, it's been it's been an interesting path. Um, you know, that's really, you know, reflexive performance reset is something that myself and uh, two other strength coaches, uh, Cal Dietz, who's out of Minnesota, and Chris Corfus is a sprint coach out of Chicago. Um, they kind of opened me up to to it. And it was something that was more of a practitioner based system uh, and, and some kind of some things. And we basically got together as strength coaches and said, how do we simplify this and make it something that people can affect change in their own nervous systems? Uh, and it's really been, I'll tell you, it, it's been an interesting journey because, you know, uh, understanding the body in, in just a new way and, and getting a new understanding for how the nervous system affects the body and how we can control some of those patterns. It's, it's been really, really cool. And uh, it, it's been fun, you know, um, it, it's it's kind of a new uh, it, it's really you know it's a new era I think I, I look at it from a progression in the U.S. obviously I can you know I speak to that not not necessarily internationally but um, in the U.S. I, I look at when I was in college and fascia wasn't a part of any text you know it, it didn't exist and now every soccer mom in the world knows what plantar fasciitis is and has a foam roller in her trunk and so <laughs> I just look at how that information is like, wow, that wasn't even being taught when I was in school. And now it's common knowledge. And I think that the next evolution of, of, of that is going to be how the nervous system is impacting everything. I think that's, you know, to me, the nervous systems, it's the, it's the CEO of the body. And uh, it's, I think that's kind of the next evolution that's coming. And so it's been fun. We've, we've been able to, you know, kind of, you know, really, educate a bunch of people on it and and we've been it's it's been really fun because we've been able to just uh, again why i think what if if you're not in this field to help people i i think you're you're in the wrong field and just the 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 amount of help we've been able to give to people it's it's been really cool so it's been something i've been really really enjoying so here's the question for you. here's a challenge for you can you can you expand the awareness of what you're teaching in the absence of equipment In the, what do you mean in the absence of equipment? With reflex teaching, your reflexive teaching, can, yep. you, can, you, can you share that message without attaching it to the sale of a device? Yeah, you, you don't need any device. I mean, that's like the, the cool thing about it is that people can do all of it themselves. So it's, it's, you don't need any equipment or anything like that. So it, what's really cool about it is that it's been – something that we've been able to expand you know we've gone into a lot of professional sport teams and and different you know collegiate teams and taught them how to install it with their because it basically fits into the training it doesn't change anything they're doing it just makes everything they're doing more effective and that's that's the really cool part um for myself honestly the the, the best part about this and you and i haven't really had any time to talk about this but 
uh, it's really what it does a lot is, is it shifts your nervous system to a more parasympathetic state. And for me personally, the biggest benefit I've gotten is, is just a stress reduction, you know, mm-hmm. being able to be in, in a less sympathetic, you know, I've, I've always been a kind of a high sympathetic driver all the time. Um, so it, it's helped myself just from a relaxation and, and just to be in a better state mentally. So that's actually something that, that isn't necessarily performance, but it is because, you know, chronic stress is, is not good for the body. Well, I'm going to sidebar and talk about that day that you came out of the gym and found someone parked. You got you parked in yeah, the yeah. car that parked. You don't want to tell that story? <laughs> yeah, so that's called being in a sympathetic state when you walk out of the gym. Uh, so I was supposed to compete in the at the Arnold at the Mighty Mitts. It, it's a competition to see who has the strongest grip in the world, uh, grip strength. And there's a bunch of different fits of uh, feats of grip strength. So a week before that competition, I walked out of my gym someone uh, had blocked me in, had parked me in, but they were only at the back of their car. So it was only a couple feet blocking me in. So I decided that the, 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 the intelligent thing to do at that time, not thinking with, with any brain was to pick the car up and move it out of my way. And so I started picking the car up, the bumper starts coming up, tires start coming off the ground and pop, there goes my bicep ripping off. So, uh, yeah, so that, that's pretty much how I, I've, I've lived my life is kind of in that like real high synthetic state. So I've, I've, I've definitely uh, experienced the downside of what that'll do for you. Well, I tell you what, you said yeah, it's funny when I tell people that they look at me like they just go, are you, so you really thought picking the car and moving it was the best idea. I'm like, I don't know if I thought it was the best idea, but it's definitely the idea I went with. Well, the things you can do when you're strong. Yeah, right. So the, re- the reason I asked about equipment is, put it this way, if if uh, someone hadn't worked out how to sell a poodle from the swimming pool, you know what I mean by a poodle from the swimming pool, would everybody know about tissue work, you know, like the tissue temperature reduction and the fashion that you talk about? Sorry, you broke up there. Can you say that again, Ian? I'm sorry, you broke up. Yeah, I'm just going to mute you up there. So, getting a bit of feedback on that line. So, if if a if no one had worked out that they could sell the foam from a swimming pool, you know, in in, in swimming pools they all have what's called foam noodles where people rest on them in the, in the pool. If they hadn't worked out how they could repackage them and sell them to humans to roll on. Do you think the market, the masses, would have been educated about tissue tension as they have been? You know, pro- probably not. I think you know that's one of the things that I think uh, I, I think I think people enjoy something that they think is is doing better for them that that doesn't take a ton of work. I think that's that's kind of the the society we're living in right now, but. You know, the, the upside of that, I think, too, is that it did bring some awareness to that the fact that that was a thing. Obviously, I think there's there's some better ways to deal with that. But so I, I think with any with any bad, you get some good and with any good, you get some bad. And I, I think that definitely that helped propel that, you know, further was that they had a product to sell. I think that that for sure helped propel that. And, and the re- reason I raise this as an example is that I'm pretty impressed that you'll selling a, a a training activity in the absence of a training device that's very un-american 
Well, don't don't give me any credit. I'm trying. I'm we we've got some some RPR sticks that that I'm I'm working on developing right now. So I'm I'm working on becoming more American for you, Ian. So I'll, I'll get I'll, I'll get there. I'll get there. But uh, you know. <sighs> So, you know, the honest thing is, is, is we probably would have made a lot more money at this point if we would have had, you know, our RPR stick developed. But honestly, you know, my thing was, hey, I, here's something that we think can really help people. Let's just get it out to them and, and we'll figure this other stuff out as we go. And I think, you know, that's the difference between someone who's probably a, a really, really good business person and someone who's in this to just help people. I, I think you can make a living if you're in it to help people. You're not you're not going to get as rich as, as someone who's just out to make money. But that, that's not really why I'm on this earth. I, I agree with you. I think the number one income earner in, in our industry is, uh, is equipment and even more so patented equipment. And I was pretty impressed when I saw the numbers. Um, some of the people over the, over, the, over the decades in the industry that have patented equipment or been behind equipment innovation, it's, it's definitely um, a path to, path to wealth. Uh, you know, whether or not it's the best way to help me, that, that, as you said, that, that's, that's the only difference. Yeah, I think, I mean, for us, you know, actually the, the RPR stick came out of not because we, we wanted to have a product, but what we found was when we went into teams, and this is where you come into the American thing. When we went into teams, we found that, you know, hey, look, this is something you can do with with your own hands. It was almost like people didn't think it was as special. And so we found with using, you know, we've, we've developed some things that, that help. It, it almost was like people thought it was more special for some reason. So for me, it's like, okay, well, whatever gets people to, to do something that's better for themselves and more often, then, then let's go with it. Uh, absolutely. I, I think the, the, the perception, at least in America, the condition perception is that if you're training without equipment, you're, you're virtually naked. I definitely agree. I think that, you know, there's been some fads over the last, you know, decade that that have, you know, just driven me crazy. And, and I think that, you know, anybody who understands great training understands those things are, are not good. But um, I think that you know, to, to me, you know, I think it's, it's never about the equipment. It's, it's about the coach. It's, it's not even about the, I mean, I've gotten to a point where, yeah, programming is important. There's some rules you can't violate, but the, the most are, you know, the best program written out by the best minds in the world is not going to be very good if it's carried out by a coach who isn't good. And, and that's where I think we're losing a lot of that is, people want to replace that art of coaching with data. And um, I, I had a great conversation with a guy who who's written some books on, you know, uh, sports science and he's, he's been, you know, literally around the world and in, in different professional organizations leading sports science. And what I loved was, you know, he's, he's at the top of that movement and he said, look, sports science doesn't replace coaching. It, it doesn't even answer any questions. All it does is allow you to ask better questions. And I think that at the top, people get that. But I think as it's gone through, that that that's really been lost. Yeah, absolutely. And the 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 answer is very similar. What I give, for example, people say, you know, what age should I start a, a person, a young person in strength training? I say it's not about the age; it's about who's who's the provider. 
Yeah. I mean, my, you know, my daughter, it's funny. I just, I, I posted a little thing up on, on Facebook about a couple months ago and she's seven years old. She's, you know, in my facility doing, you know, some, some tall kneeling hinges with kettlebells and she's doing some different squats and lunges and all this stuff. And, you know, I mean, my son's three, we, we do, you know, we do a little bit of stuff. We pick up different size balls, we throw, we kick, we do all these things. I mean, he's, he's training at three. It, it's, you know, it's, no different than what I do with a 40 year old. I want to build better movement. It's just, you know, I'm going to go about that in a slightly different way with a three year old than a 40 year old. Yeah. So as you said, the biggest concern is, you know, how it's being taught and the impact on their body, especially when it's changing or it's, it's very susceptible to load as in, you know, the risks are potentially higher and, and the, um, the ability of strength training to shape a human body is far in excess of any form of any other form of training, which it adds a, I, I believe a higher onus on the the provider to do the right thing by the young athlete. Well, I think, and that's you know one of the probably one of the biggest things that that has really in my mind, you know, I think from from being around you and talking with you, I think that's one of the things for me is you know I always used to understand that strength training has the biggest potential to create good in an athlete. But on the other side of that equal and opposite, it also has the biggest uh, uh, impact for bad potentially. And I think that definitely in the U.S., that's not an equation where we we really only respect one side of that equation. And I think that, you know, I know with my staff, we we do something at our facility where when you come into our facility, no matter if you're eight, you know, we usually start at eight years old, but is our youngest other than my kids, you know, but uh but whether you're eight or whether you're 80, the, the, the bottom line with anybody who comes in our facilities, they have to earn the right to touch a barbell. And that's something that, that I've become very adamant about that we tell, you know, we tell all of our clients is, look, touching a barbell is not something that you're just, it's not a privilege you're given, it's a right you're earned. And so I think, you know, if, if more people adopted that, I, I think overall training would, would go up tremendously. Yeah, it's good to hear. And it's in in the investment sector, the words leverage goes both ways is pretty well understood. You know, you use you use tools of leverage and in investing to accelerate your wealth, and at the same time, the, the risk involved means that you can go backwards just as fast. And and as you're aware of, and as you've spoken to, which I'm very happy to hear that strength training um, is a form of leverage. It can go both ways. So the the question is, uh, are we taking it in the, in the in the right direction we're using the leverage wisely we know ian I, I think one thing i've learned probably over the last few years and you know obviously i, I have you to thank for a lot of this and, and some other i have a friend uh up in toronto his name's jeff gervitz and, and it's funny jeff's probably one of the best people on just the basics of movements he's, he's so great and and obviously you're amazing with that as well uh and but my talks with you opened my mind up to this a lot more. And, and, and obviously, you know, I, I'm you know, forever grateful for that because I feel like, you know, just being around you and, and talking with you is, is moved me forward as a strength coach so much. But, uh, you know, what I realized in, in having some conversations, obviously I talk to Jeff on a more regular basis than I do you, but, uh, you know, one of the things we, we realize is, and we talk about, you know, a lot of the strength conditioning, and what dominates in the U.S., it comes from that collegiate football area. And one of the things I never realized was, like, 
I wasn't a great athlete, but you know, I played college football. Like I, I was a, I was a decent athlete. I could move. I was, you know, second in the state in wrestling. Like I was a decent athlete. And so for me, a lot of that basic movement, I took it for granted. So if, if you're a great football player, or a great athlete, you just take all that basic movement for granted. And that, that's one of the lessons I learned kind of like obviously the importance of it from you. But as I've had discussions with Jeff, Jeff was awful. He was, he was uncoordinated. He wasn't an athlete and he had to learn how to move. And so that's where I think a lot of this comes from in the U S is a lot of, a lot of the stuff that is taught is taught from higher level athletes that never had to learn how to move. And so I, I think, I think, you know, that's one of the realizations I've come to is like, look, a, a lot of these people just don't have these basic skills and we need to make sure that they get them. Yeah, movement and the background of movement, exactly. There's, there's different levels of of experience or competence in, in movement. Interesting. Um, interesting to, to where it will come from. So uh, another one of our um, common friends is Eric Serrano. I think it was Eric who was... Um, telling me a great story. And you can tell me some Eric stories in a moment, but he was telling me a great story. I just want to share that one. You decided one day you'd get in the cage. You want to tell us that one? Yeah, he was not super happy with me uh, on that. <laughs> he called me, um, anybody who knows Eric Serrano knows that he uh, he does not hold back on, on name calling. Um, but uh, yeah, basically we, um, you know, I had, I had a, about a dozen athletes in from Brazil to chain for worlds for jujitsu. And, uh, you know, I started rolling with them and I said, man, you know, I wrestled in high school. I, you know, like I said, I took second in the state in wrestling. I was a pretty decent wrestler and, you know, obviously strong. And so I decided I was going to start doing, uh, MMA fighting. And, uh, Eric, it was so funny because he's like, you're so smart. Why do you want to get punched in the face? Uh, that's kind of the clean version of what he said. But um, it was uh, he was he was not thrilled that that was that was a a, a thing that I was trying to do. So um, it it was it was a good, you know. I, I think there's different types of people in the world, and it's it's that Mike Tyson quote, right? Like you never know what happens to you know everyone's got a game plan to get punched in the face, and I've I've kind of always been that person that you know I get punched in the face, I usually punch back a lot harder. So. It's uh, it, it was a really fun experience and uh, it, it's something, honestly, I think that, you know, if, uh, you know, when we look at like, you know, you talk about what had happened if my knee, honestly, I, I think my, my true, like where, where I had the biggest talent would, would be in that. Um, I had a guy that, you know, Mark, Mark Coleman, who was, who was a great UFC guy, you know, in the original, you know, I, he was my coach who was working with me on ground and pound and, you know, he was, you know, I, I respect his opinion. He's, he's, he's had that UFC title belt back in the day. And he's like, look, man, he's like, I've, I've trained these top guys. I've worked with him. He's like, if, if, so if your knee was good, man, he was like, I, I don't know as if they'd be able to stop you, but you know, it's one of those things, you know, that's honestly of all the, the sporting things, that's the one I probably would have loved to do the most, but, but my knee was just, you know, it, it just, just wasn't up to that type of task. Well, I'm proud of you giving it a go, and uh, there's nothing better than having the experience, is it? Like you had the experience, you know what it feels like to when you get inside. It's just you and one other person, and um, you know the seconds are out. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's one of those things. Uh, I think, you know, like I said, I was a very sympathetic, dominant person, very aggressive, and 
you know, growing up through through high school and in college, I I got in more than my share fair of fight. I got more. I, I got in everyone's fair share of fights. Let's say, <laughs> um, and so. Uh, you know, it's something that it's different though, when you put some gloves on and, and you put some rules around it, it gets a lot different. Absolutely. So the, um, the, the way you did that, and you know, not too many powers would probably jump in the, in, in the ring. Um, although there was young Justin Fortune out of Australia, who uh, was a great young powerlifter, um, who went, went across to America and fought professional heavyweights, but you know, that's another story. Um, you you've demonstrated your, your willingness to be open to, to different experiences and, and that included your willingness to, to have some pretty extensive chats with me back there in uh, Swiss when we first met. Do, do you understand the benefit that, that you receive from that? I'm, I'm pretty sure you do. I'm speaking to the converted, but you, you, your, your willingness to uh, dialogue and, and look at, consider, um, you know, well, moves I, you away from the, the masses. You know, I think it's one of those things where I would say, you know, it, it's funny when, when I talk to people, Ian, I'm like, you know, because obviously, you know, you know, I'm, I'm super pumped to, to have you coming in next month and, and, and work with my staff. I mean, I'm super excited for that. And, you know, I, I would say, you know, it's funny when when we um, when we met, you know, back then, that was really it opened my mind to a lot of things. And, you know, I've always been. I, I think a, a little more open than other people as far as change and, and questioning things. But um, I think that, you know, when I, I tell people all the time, you know, when we're talking about things, so look like as far as influencing my thoughts on strength conditioning and, and just, you know, performance and, and how you coach, like, you know, whether you know it or not, I always tell everyone you, you've been one of my biggest influences on that. And, you know, I, obviously I'm, I'm forever grateful for, for the things you taught me because, I think there there is a better way to do it than than what's being taught, and I think the information's out there. It just it just it's not being shoved on people. I'll say that. Yeah, that's that's how, that's my philosophy. That there is a better way, and and we're always looking for it. And the, the the challenge is that better way is typically not what the masses are doing, and you obviously have that little bit of resistance. There's a great saying about the three stages of truth and ridiculed, rejected, and then finally accepted as if it, if it was always was. So you're, you've stood out a little bit in that, um, you know, you've been willing to look at things that the majority just want to do what the majority do. Well, I, I think a lot of that, you know, it has to do with, with two things. I think one, my upbringing, um, you know, you know what, when I grew up, I mean, one of the things is, is, you know, it was very unstable, um, you know, my, we moved, I think, 11 times from from kindergarten to ninth grade. And, um, you know, there was a lot of you had to learn how to adapt. And, uh, you know, it was, uh, you know, only later when I grew up and learned, you know, my mom was was a gambling addict and there was a lot of things associated with that. And, you know, so so as a kid, I mean, I learned how to adapt in, in, into a lot of different situations. And I, I think I, you know, getting stuck into into dogma was, wasn't ever part of my life. And so I think that's, that's one of the things that, that really helps me kind of keep an open mind on things. And, um, you know, I, I think, I think it is hard though, uh, for a lot of people it's, you know, I, I, you know, we've had many discussions about, uh, you know, squatting and other things. And, um, you know, I wrote an article last year and, and honestly, my mission at this point is, if if in 10 years every collegiate high school 
any gym in America or really the world, if they just don't use the word depth or parallel to quantify squats, I'll, I'll, I'll have accomplished something in the world because it's, it really is unfortunate that, that, you know, the sport of powerlifting, which I love, obviously I've given more to the sport of powerlifting than, than, than most people will ever have. Um, and I love the sport, but you know, the fact that sport performance is, is being judged or off of a standard of a sport that it really is, it's arbitrary. It makes no sense. And, and, I'm, I'm hoping that I can be part of the solution to, to kind of get that to stop. Well, I'm very impressed. That, that's right, because the sport's sport, and there's, there's absolutely nothing wrong with it. The sport is the sport. And, and this is a point that I I seek to make in relation. It's one thing to go to powerlifting to learn how to get strong, but you don't have to take everything from powerlifting. It would be like saying, I want to learn to run faster, therefore I'm going to go to a speed skater and do everything they're doing because their sport is focused on speed. So, you know, you've got the wisdom to, to see the difference of what to take and what to leave. Well, you know, I, I tell people all the time, and this is something, you know, look, when I was when I was at my very strongest, I, I was nowhere near the athlete that I was in college. I mean, that, you know, I was always a very explosive athlete. I mean, you know, I, you know, I had a, my last year in college, I, you know, I was 245 and I had a 36 and a half inch vertical. I mean, I could, I could dunk a basketball. Uh, actually, that's that that skill also earned me not not having to do any laundry at home because uh, my my wife I've been with you know we've dated for twelve years and uh, when I was when I was actually kind of leaning down for fighting I, I got my weight down to two sixty five and uh, so we were at, she was at a YMCA uh, she was doing a little workout there and I, I was I was messing around in the basketball and I was, I said I could dunk, and she said, "If you dunk, you never do laundry ever again." And uh, so I, I went through a basketball down, man. I couldn't tell you what kind of detergent we use or nothing. <laughs> so, so it was being explosive. It, it's paid off for me in life, at least in one area. And the, the thing about changes in the world is that you know the, the world's changing faster than it ever has, and not just from a technology point of view, but from a from a social point of view, from a cultural influence point of view, uh, you know, things are moving around a lot faster than it was. So it, it's a skill that I think a lot of Americans could do with a little bit more of. Um, and I don't think America's seen the full impact of that because at the moment, most of the influence has been going out. So America has been a very big influencer globally as far as uh, Hollywood and uh, the dissemination of, of values and beliefs. But how are Americans going to cope when it's going the other way? When you know, say when the, some of the Asian cultures and beliefs start having uh, permeating America instead of vice versa, as an example. So the the ability to be adaptive, I think, is a great skill for you. So looking at um, in the immediate future, obviously you and I will be getting together in um, looking forward to come up to your your hometown um, next month. It's not that far away. I've, I've got a two internationals before. Actually, that'll be part of my second international. So. Um, I'll probably be a world, world trouble man by then. But um, after that, we go up to, to Canada in um, October. Yeah, Swiss. Oops. Yeah, it's going to be great. I refresh my memory. You're talking on? So, you know, this year, uh, you know, they're really doing more up, upper body base. So I'm actually doing a whole talk on grip strength. And so I, I think that, you know, 
uh, obviously have they've competed, you know, really in the, the biggest competition you can, there's ever been on in as far as the world and grip. And I think it's one of the most misunderstood aspects of strength that there are. And uh, obviously, as you know, you know, just the, the correlation with the nervous system and the hands. And I, I just think I'm doing, so I'm doing a whole talk on, on grip strength and how to different, the different kinds of grip strength and, and how to build the different kinds of grip strength. So I, I think it's going to be really fun because honestly, I, it is such a small niche thing. It, you know, obviously it's not the most important thing in the world, but I think it is something that's misunderstood and, and not something that a lot of people are very educated on. Well, I'm looking forward to that one. I'm, I'm, if if I drive, I'm going to bring a Thomas Inch dumbbell up there. So I, I don't know if you're familiar with the Thomas Inch, but I, I have two of them at my facility. So if if I drive, I'm going to bring one up so people can can test some of their grip strength. Ah, excellent. And there's some there's some other things there. You're looking forward to being back at Swiss again. Yeah, I mean, you know, obviously, you know, as being involved with Swiss such a long time. I mean, I mean, shoot, one, you know, you know, just. Anytime I get to, to hear you speak is always, always a pleasure. And, and I always take a ton out of that. And there's, there's so many other great presenters there. I mean, it's, uh, you know, no matter what kind of your, your niche or your, your field or your interest, there's, there's somebody there that's, you know, probably written a book or two on, on something you're interested in. And so um, I think, you know, honestly, you know, Swiss has been so great for information, but, but, you know, like I said, you know, you kind of said in the beginning, I mean, we met, you know, I think that was 2015 at Swiss. And I mean, I, I can say, you know, with without any doubt that, that you know, just being able to, to have some of your direction and, and friendship and, 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 you know, information and knowledge. I mean, it, it's it's swayed, you know, my my beliefs and training, you know, is as much as anything else in my life. So, I mean, that to me, that that's really the, the magical part of Swiss, because you know, you know, if, if we hadn't met then, then, then I wouldn't have that opportunity. And I've had that opportunity with so many uh, at that event over the last, uh, well, nearly 20 years, I guess, um, where Ken brings together some, some phenomenal people and you get, you get that chance to meet in person and you learn so much, so much more if you're willing to have that chat and you certainly, certainly were. So I know we're both looking forward to to going back and meeting the people we've met in the past and meeting the new people. Well, an, yeah, I think I was going to say that I just, I think that, you know, when, you know, a lot of times I think one of the things is, is people get so, you know, I think everyone's trying, everyone who who's in this field, I think for the most part is trying to do good in the world. And, you know, I, I think, sometimes people see things they don't agree with and they want to tear it down or do whatever. And, and I think one of the things that, that I enjoy about that environment of Swiss is there's really not anybody trying to tear anybody else down. It's everyone trying to understand each other's views and, and trying to take away great information or, you know, say why they think that maybe something else is different. And to me, that's been one of the biggest shifts for me is, is, you know, I've just gotten to a point in my life where if, if people around me aren't being positive, they, I just know they're not going in the direction I want to go in. And, and that's one of the things I enjoy about Swiss a lot. Yeah, definitely. And, and I think one of, the, one of the contributors to that is that the overwhelming supply of um, you know, people who really have paid their dues, it's not a place where you'd, you'd want to, um, you'd feel 
appropriate to to big note yourself or try to shut someone down when you consider the experience and the, the credibility that's walking around those walls. Yeah, for sure. So very humbling experience and um, Ken does a great job in bringing together people with with, yeah. with, with great value and similar values, um, as you said, uh, receptive to listen and receptive to learn. Yeah, and that's I think that's part of what makes that event really special. Very unique, and obviously, if you haven't been to it, I encourage you to get up to it. Um, October this year, dates will be up on the website, Swiss 2018. And the other thing that people probably don't aware about your jail is uh, you're one of the, you know, you're on that small group of people who've travelled to our annual coach and athlete camp where, you know, it's, it's sort of from our company's perspective, King Sports International, it's the only time in the year when all our top end coaches come together in the one place. And we get together in, in a lot of different places throughout the year, but never all as, as far as the top end of the group goes. And you made the effort and you came down and spent some time with us as an athlete uh, at, that, at that event. So that's, you know, that's, that speaks a lot to, for me as to your willingness to, to learn. Yeah, that that was an awesome event, and it was it was a great to be a part of. I mean, obviously, you know, it, it, you guys do a great job of, of putting that on and everything. But from from my standpoint, you know, it was it, it was really it was it changed my perspective on so much. And um, obviously, we we'd had many conversations before that, but you know, just being able to kind of be you know immersed in that you know all day every day that was. It was a really special experience and, and, you know, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, looking, you know, this, this last year, it was, you know, I would have loved to go, but like I said, the, the expansion of the businesses, it's, uh, we, 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 you know, I'm one of those people, obviously, you know, like I said, always been pretty aggressive. And so for me, it's, it's, it's not just, you know, go for the single, I'm, I'm always going for the home run. So it's, uh, it's kind of, I guess, how I like to do things. Well, I understand. We just appreciate you being there and the, and the value you brought. Um, you know, we, when you're getting great athletes and people with great training backgrounds, our coaches learn so much from it. And they go away from that and they're able to to take that experience and, and leverage that into their their future client base. And it's it's really quite interesting because every time they get a, a new experience, uh, like working with someone like yourself, they go away and the, they seem to attract experiences like that moving forward where in the past they wouldn't have had the competency to deal with but now they've got an enhanced experience set due to the exposure to high level athletes such as yourself so you know you, you added great value by your presence and we appreciate that no yeah it was it was an awesome event and i mean it was fun too you know probably one of my favorite memories from that was you know some of the guys from overseas just being able to take them in to uh utah and, and you know the university and the football facilities and some of those things that those guys had never seen before that that was really fun to be able to do that for them is you know what obviously one of my best friends the head strength coach there so that that was a fun experience too just because i know you know american football and in the u.s and the facilities and the way they do things is 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 a, it's pretty cool if you've never seen it before yeah, that was a great experience. And, you know, the money, uh, the, the the facility, yeah, it's um, it's got to be seen to be believed, especially by non-Americans. Yeah, it's uh, it, it you know, it's funny. I, I think that's you know, that's one of the things right now that it's it's amazing the money that these universities are putting into the facilities. I mean, it's it's just getting bigger and, and better all over the country. It's it's pretty crazy. I mean. 
it's 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 pretty phenomenal what just how much money's in 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 those in that collegiate sporting realm. And that was an eye opener for me and some of the chats I've had with you and your colleagues, understanding that because you you see you see pro sport and you you think of pro sport, but you probably don't appreciate the the size of the machine financially speaking that college sport is. I mean, you look at, I mean, yeah, you know, pro sports, obviously there's so much money, but, you know, you look at obviously the highest levels, you know, the Ohio State University, you know, their football, I mean, you know, that's that's 110,000 people. And, and I don't know, I think, you know, cheapest tickets, probably 75 bucks a ticket. And they're going to pack that stadium every single game. I mean, I'm not great with math, but I know that adds up. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, it's uh, it's a big machine. It's a beautiful thing. So, coming into your uh, your event uh, next month, um, it'll be an in-house training session. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, you know, what I really want to do is keep it small. So it's it's going to be for my coaches, and then I have some, you know, just some friends that that I've kind of given invites to. So I wanted to keep it small so that, you know, I know that for me the experience, you know, you know. The, the conversations we've had one-on-one -on -one and, you know, going out to the athlete camp uh, in Utah and, and doing those things to me, I, I just didn't want to, you know, for me, it, it's, it's really just about my commitment to my staff and, and the education and the quality of training I want to have at my facility. And, and I wanted to make that commitment to, to be able to give them that, that small attention so that, that, you know, the things that they wanted to know about or things they want to learn from you, you, you really had time to dig into instead of taking, you know, questions from a hundred different people. So that was, that was really me, you know, just wanting to be able to give that to my staff and, and selfishly to, to be able to, to, to be able to have time to ask some questions I may have as well. Yeah, respect that. So I'm looking forward to it and looking forward to opening their minds to the possibilities and result of the impact that they have on, on your client base uh, now and into the future. So good stuff. And the reason I raised the, the close bit of this is I, I know I've had a few people ask, but is, um, you know, it's JL's event for JL's people and those, uh, your staff should be pretty happy that you've done that. Well, that's my goal anyway. Um, and we'll, we'll judge that at the end of the day, but I'm looking forward to getting out there and, you know, I've been to, I've been to a lot of places in America but I don't spend any time in your neck of the woods. So, you know, it'd be good for me as well. Well, we'll definitely, uh, obviously, besides, you know, showing you around the facilities, we'll, you know, Columbus obviously has, you know, Ohio State University and some things that, that would, you know, I think would, would be fun things that you'd, you'd enjoy kind of checking out. Absolutely. Yeah, I've had that opportunity in many places. And uh, hopefully touch base with Eric um, and others um, while I'm up there. There's a lot of, a lot of activity in your part of town you know it's a it's a happening place yeah i think you know it's interesting with you know columbus ohio is kind of i think in the u.s it's thought of as is a little bit you know a cow town kind of it's just not thought of as a big place but when it comes to, to strength and conditioning and performance and all those things i mean there's just so much here that makes it such a great place to be for this field so you know I, i've been very fortunate, you know, obviously I moved here to, to train at Westside Barbell and, um, you know, through through that, you know, obviously became friends with Eric and interned under Eric and learned so much from him and, and so many other people. I think that this is, uh, you know, there's is maybe, you know, it'd be argue what's the best, but it's definitely one of the best places in the U.S. to be if, if, if you're in this field, for sure. Yeah, very impressive place. Uh, any place where Eric's hanging out is 
he's got a lot to offer, and I know he's not the only one there. So looking forward no. to it. We'll yeah, appreciate I think, uh, no, I was going to say, like, you know, and, and two, one of the nice things is with, with Ohio State football, um, they have an amazing staff over there. Um, Mickey Marotti's their head guy, and, and Phil Matus is number one assistant, who's who's just an amazing strength coach and guy as well. And th they do such a great job. And one of the great things is, it, that they've done is, you know, people come in from all around the world and uh, to, to learn because it's such a, you know, it's it's such a big sporting place. And, and I think that um, – it's nice to have just just people around like that to kind of to be able to to talk shop with and so i i think i think columbus is underestimated it, it, it definitely is i think one of the best places to be so i think you're really going to enjoy your trip here well, i'm looking forward to it i've had some some really good treatment around the world um i remember going to for example into university of nebraska in 89 and boyd epley was in the head strength coach and Pretty significant figure in the development of strength, uh, strength and conditioning as Americans call it uh, in American history. So, I've always enjoyed my visits to to the colleges and universities around the place. So, Joel, we appreciate you taking the time, and uh, I know you got a, a big facility to deal with and a lot of lot of um, administration. So, it's an absolute pleasure to have you on the call, and we're going to get together two more times this year uh, in person uh, at your place. In August and then back up in Toronto in in October so a lot of good times ahead for the rest of the calendar year yeah and if, if you if you have anybody you know I'd like to say if you have anybody that that you know if they if they want to reach out to me if, if they're like hey I'd really like to come you know be a part of that thing with Ian and you know them um, obviously you, you can give them my email and I can talk to them um, you know, we want to keep it small. We don't, we don't want to open anything up, but if there's people, you know, that, you know, personally, just let me know and, and, and we'd, we'd welcome them. There's probably one in mind who's reasonably local and, um, he, he might be worth, uh, me passing that on to. And the only other ones I've had in mind is I know, um, sometimes some of my coaches are willing to travel uh, to, to get that education, but that'll be another discussion that, that, that they're easy because, um, they're low maintenance in terms of, yep of the numbers, but I uh, appreciate that offer and I'll certainly um, keep that in mind. But yeah, it's, it's good that we're going to go and focused and, and, and focused on a specific task, which is raising the professional skill set of your people. Exactly. And the more we do that, the more people we help as far as the end user, because uh, you know, there's a lot of help needed out there. There's so much to do. So appreciate anybody who's contributing to positive outcomes from athlete preparation. Well, thanks for your time and, and really, you know, like I said, you know, I think the influence you've you've had over me and over these last couple of years, I I don't know as if you'll ever understand how, how much impact that's had and how much I appreciate that. Well, I, I'm, I'm hearing you and I, I appreciate I enjoy spending time with you, Jail. You're um, you got a fast mind and a, and a great humor and a lot of life experiences. So we have it's, it's, it's great to to be able to talk straight with you and as we have on, on many subjects, both professionally and personally, and and it's it's easy, it's, it's it's fun, and I like what you're doing as far as helping the world, so thank you for that. Yeah, also, thanks. thank um, everyone else for being on the call. I don't know if, if, if anyone had a hand up, though, I almost forgot, there's a few people that have stayed with us. Um, if they had a quick question for Jail, it's a simple matter of electronic hand up. You know, I know many of the people don't understand what that means, electronic hand up, but it's, a, it's some button on your device somewhere that, you know, if you had a question, you, you, you push the button and I can see your hand. Um, so we've had a few of our, our people coming along for the ride. 
Okay, so Jail, great to chat, and um, I'm going to be uh, in America next week, back in Australia the week after, and then in America the week after that, uh, and then we get together the week after that. It's a lot of travel. Yeah, yeah. Toughen the body, but I might just plug some, just plug into you for energy, just joking. Okay, uh, appreciate JL. Great to chat. Say hello to the family, say hello to your coaches, say hello to Eric. Uh, everybody else that you bump into on a day-to-day basis and tell them um, I'll be up there shortly. Sounds great, Ian. Say hi to the family for me as well. Thanks. Will do. Appreciate it. Thank you. Bye.